Well, it might be surprising to us, at least it is to me, how often fear shows up in the scriptures. How often it shows up in the lives of people who would, or we would not count on them fearing. We think about the Bible and we think about folks in the Bible and we think how victorious and triumphant they are and how they live lives without fear or ever experiencing fear. But in reality, in Scripture, the phrase, don't be afraid, gets repeated over 140 times. And sometimes before they even knew they had a reason to be afraid, we find people in the Bible afraid. Before crossing into the promised land, Joshua is encouraged by God to not be frightened or dismayed. When Mary was approached by the angel Gabriel, the angel's first words were, don't be afraid. Jesus tells his disciples to not worry about your life regarding what you will eat, drink, or wear. Life, Jesus says, is much more than what you will eat, drink, or wear. And in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul invites his readers to, quote, not worry about everything, but in prayer, let God know what you need and what is on your heart. So when I read that, I actually do take heart. I'm not the only one that worries. I'm not the only one that has anxiousness at times. I'm not the only one that has fears. In our scripture text this morning, we read that the disciples were all gathered together in a room after Jesus' death and resurrection, and the doors were locked, it says, for fear of the Jews. In other words, fear of being found out, fear of being arrested, fear of being lumped in with Jesus and his revolution, fear of being identified with the group that caused so much trouble. The disciples were, if you will, in lockdown mode. No one leaves, no one comes in. Their world had literally shrunk to this one little space, this little house. And it had become their own little house of fear that they were living in lockdown. Now, hindsight's not only 2020, hindsight's also very courageous. I can look at Joshua, I can look at Mary, I can look at Paul, and I can look at these disciples, I can say, come on, guys! What did you have to fear? You have God with you. You were, you're being called into this amazing mission for God, and God was with you. I can say that now. But what would I have said then? How would I have responded then? I suspect no differently. I would have needed to hear these words, and I need to hear them now in my life, in the present. Do not be afraid. And much like the disciples in that room after the resurrection, I build my own house of fear, and I live my own life oftentimes in fear, and I live my own life in this little personal lockdown. I don't venture out. I don't take a risk. I allow no one in or I allow nothing out, and I simply stay stuck in my own self-made house of fear. And I suspect that I'm maybe not the only one in this way today. And part of fear is admitting to one another that we fear. We're told not to worry about it. We're told it's not bad, that bad. We're told to trust God. All well-meaning and probably very true in many respects, but in the end, we tend to stuff our humanity down, and more and more we don't allow it to, to, to encounter the living Christ, the resurrected Christ, who transcends our fears, who's present with us as we fear, who comes to us even when we're living in this house of fear. So here's my invitation to start with this morning. I want us, me, to join this messy band of doubters, of failures, of skeptics, and non-risk takers that we see in Scripture. Let's not pretend we would do it differently than them. Let's acknowledge that we would be just like them and that it's okay to be just like them in that way. Because it was this messy band of doubters, of failures, of skeptics, and non-risk takers that Jesus appeared to them in their house of fear 
And his first words to them were simply this, peace be with you. He didn't chastise them. He didn't say, you need to be challenged. He didn't say to them, you need to be pumped up with pithy words of encouragement. He simply needed to give them the gift of peace. And Jesus gave it to them in the form of his living presence. That's why I say here this morning, at this moment, the living presence of Christ is with us. Not just last Sunday for Easter Sunday, but every day after that, every day that we live. I felt led to this series of sermons on fear because I've always been struck and intrigued by how this first reaction of the disciples after Jesus' resurrection is so real and so human. And yet we're often harder on ourselves for having fear in our lives. But the reality is we do. For example, I fear blood tests. No surprise there. I fear snakes. I've discovered in the last few years I have a mild fear of heights. I fear the dentist drill. I fear waking up in the morning and realizing we're out of coffee. That is my biggest fear. (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) But probe a little bit deeper. I have other fears. I fear failure. I fear not succeeding. I fear rejection and not being liked. I fear disappointing people. I fear doing something embarrassing. I fear telling you all of this for fear that you'll think I'm weak and I'm one big hot mess. And here's a secret. I am one big hot mess. (laughs) I have my own house of fear and I live my life on lockdown sometimes. And I'm stuck in that house. And consequently, sometimes life doesn't get lived. Potential doesn't get met. Dreams are never fulfilled. And sometimes I end up stuck binge-watching someone else's life as they end up risking their life to live out their true self. This past week, I watched a documentary on Martin Luther King Jr. called King in the Wilderness. It chronicled his life and the work in the years just preceding his assassination. He was being interviewed by um, Harry Belafonte, who was a good friend of his and remained a good friend up until his death. He was being interviewed by him on a TV show. And Belafonte asked King this question. He said, do you fear death? And King thought for a moment, and he thought very quietly. And then he responded in his often measured and almost quiet conversational tone. He says, no, I don't fear death. And then he went on to add this. It's not about how long you live. It's about how well you live. And in that moment, something stuck in my soul. And it remained lodged there since I have watched that clip. I don't want my life to be defined by my fears. I'm willing to name them, and I'm willing to own them, but I don't want to be defined by them. I want my life to be defined by my willingness to move beyond them, to live life well, a life defined more by courage, more by hope, more by integrity to my true self, a life defined more by faith, willing to take risks, because I know that God has called me, and I can trust, and I am not alone. And even if I don't quite understand that right now, I want my life to be defined by a willingness to lean into it so I can discover what that looks like. Now, we not only have our own fears. It seems as if we increasingly live in a culture of fear. In his book, Unafraid, which we're actually reading and discussing in our 10 a.m. group, uh, adult group, um, author Adam Hamilton writes this, quote, If the post-war 1940s and 1950s was the age of anxiety, ours might be appropriately deemed the age of high anxiety. 
We can hardly overstate the extent to which worry, anxiety, and faith permeate our lives. And then he quotes Molly Ball, who's a national political correspondent, who wrote this in the magazine The Atlantic, quote, Fear is in the air, and fear is surging. Americans are more afraid today than they have been in a long time. We fear terrorist attacks. We fear violent crime. Just yesterday, you probably saw the news, a van in Germany plows into a crowd of people, killing two and injures 20. And all of a sudden, our fear level goes up. We fear divisions economically and racially. We fear economic downturns. We sometimes fear what is known as the other, that person or culture we know nothing about, but we have been told to fear. We fear having conversations about the issues that matter most for fear. Someone will get upset or offended. We fear. And so individually and as a collective body, we find that fear dominates and dictates more than we realize. And I think that we're probably more fear-driven than we realize. And even churches fear. Churches fear change. They fear the future. They fear not having enough resources or people. And all this fear takes its toll on our soul, our individual souls, our collective soul, and even our national soul. Think about this. If chronic fear and stress and anxiety are not good for the human body, then they can't be good for the body of Christ. And it can't be good for the national body politic. In fact, some researchers have discovered that high levels of anxiety in individuals and organizations can cause what is called imagination gridlock. Think New York City, think Manhattan, think rush hour, think gridlock. Nothing is moving. Everything just happens to be at that one point where everything is stopped. And when you have imagination gridlock, an organization or a person's capacity to see things differently, to be open to change, a new way of thinking and visioning is diminished. Anxiety and fear at this chronically high level, they starve our ability to imagine and envision a different and often better future or more life-giving present. To go back to our image, it's as if our souls are on lockdown and we cower in this status quo. Isaiah 43, 18, 19 says, see, I'm doing a new thing, but we can't see it because we have this gridlock going on and I can't think differently and I can't see differently because it's paralyzed me. But here's the good news. Again, we're not alone. We're in good company. This was the response of the first disciples right after Jesus' death and resurrection. We are part of, as I said, this messy band of doubters, failures, skeptics, and non-risk takers that we see in Scripture. But in the same way Jesus comes to them, Jesus comes to you and I even when our lives are on lockdown. And for me, the grace in this story is that Jesus comes to the disciples even when they're afraid to face the world. The world is all of a sudden filled with uncertainty, disillusionment, questions and doubts, and all of this is the perfect conditions for fear. But Jesus comes to them and offers them what they need most in that moment, the gift of peace. And so know this, children of God, you don't have to come out of hiding to receive the peace of Christ. The risen Christ will find you. The risen Christ will come to you in love and in tenderness and in compassion. The risen Christ will come to you and will not say, oh, just get over it. The risen Christ will come to you as you are and offer you peace and maybe even a mission. Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I often find the gift of Jesus is this peace that transcends our fears and a mission that moves us forward in spite of our fears. Christ's peace in our life and Christ's mission for our life is bigger 
and our fears often become smaller. They go hand in hand. It takes courage. It takes courage to live in a world that often causes us fear. It takes courage to be the first to offer forgiveness. Jesus says to the disciples, go and forgive. It takes courage to be the first one to take the first step toward reconciliation. It takes courage to keep showing up on our spiritual journey even when we have doubts. It takes courage to keep trusting even when our world feels uncertain or it's falling apart. It takes courage to be faithful to one another. It takes courage to be faithful to your own true self and the convictions that you hold. It takes courage to speak truth to power and advocate for justice when necessary. And it takes courage to live as a peacemaker when violence and war seem much more practical. It takes courage to live in a world of fear. But if you choose to do so, if you choose to live in that kind of countercultural way, I will guarantee you this. You will be the most free you have ever been. And you will discover joy. What I would invite us to think about is unlocking the doors of our fears that keep us locked up. Let's welcome life with its uncertainty and its adventure. And let's step forward into life knowing the risen Christ is with us and wants us to live well. And what I find and what I find in this promise is that if I do, if we do, we will discover a joy that we never knew existed because that's what the disciples did. When Jesus came to them, he said, peace be with you. And they saw Christ was with them. And then they had joy.